Okay, it's nice to see you all again. Yes, Krista. I have, I have only a question. Yes. Can you clarify um, that our God and the God of the Muslims are not the same? Yes. You know, because I was, um, I was a little bit disappointed that the Wheaton College didn't say a right, right answer. They didn't give a right answer. Okay. Let's talk about it in just a second. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll talk about that, that question uh, real, real quickly here. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless, and without your light, our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word that, by due diligence and right discernment, we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, so to your question, Krista, I, so I'm not current on the state of uh, on the state of things at Wheaton College, and in in, in some ways, I, it doesn't. Uh, the story's gotten a little bit old <laughs> to me, um, but the but and that's because there, we're kind of kind of rehearsing things that um, that uh, um, should be relatively simple. And the simple answer is this: uh, um, if you if you have Jesus, if Jesus is God, then um, you have the Christian God. If G- and, and Jesus described by the creed, right? Born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried, raised on the third day. That Jesus, not some other Jesus. Then, then you have the Christian God. If you don't have Jesus, then, um, then you don't have the Christian God. Okay? It's, you have something else. Now, um, uh, there are all kinds of ways that that, that, that deviation... Um, that that deviation uh, can be, you know, huge or, or small, but the but the, the the thing you have to have is you can only get to you can only get to God through Jesus. So, um, the, now the other side of it, of course, is there's this political, um, historical side of things, which is also at play in what what goes on at Wheaton College, right? So, politically um, and historically, it, the, the the Islam and and Christianity and Judaism have the same roots, right? But uh, Although his, history is crucial for us, um, the way we understand history is, a, is, a, is that it's, it's a narrative which is pointed in a certain direction, specifically towards Jesus. It's not pointed somewhere else. Um, and so uh, without Jesus, the, the history is not, is not properly interpreted. Okay? Does that help? Does that help answer the question? Yeah, but, but um, you know, you have to state that our God is not the Muslim. Right. So now there may be, and I don't know. I've heard varying things about what what exactly Wheaton College has done, and I I don't I don't know. um, There may be very political, practical reasons for them taking a stance which isn't necessarily theologically apt, Um, and that's the real challenge of being an institution that's in the public square, right? Uh, That uh, the end that is has all kinds of all kinds of forces going on. So I I don't really know. I don't really know what's uh, what's going on there. So. Um, and, and any other questions about anything? We'll start out with anything. We'll just start. Just <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I think that. So I was, I was reflecting on how this should go, and to be honest, I'm not really sure yet. We'll see. We'll see what works today. But um, the idea, the idea is for us to um, go through this exercise, this this discipline of meditation, um, side by side. Right? It's not something that we can really. Uh, do together. We do this in a, a, to a degree um, at our Lenten Taizé services, right? Um, we, we get together and we hear scripture and we pray and we have silence t- 
to meditate on those scriptures. And this is the, the, the corporate practice, the congregational liturgical practice of meditation. Um, but uh, really, it drives also your, your personal practice of meditation as well. So we hope that you come to Taze and uh, hear the lessons and then continue to think about those, those lessons and meditate on those lessons as you go home um, and let those inspire further meditation. Um, and, that's, and, and, and for that reason, this Bible study can be really free, pretty free form, free associative, um, stream of consciousness. So uh, we're dealing with a really, um, what you had this week was a really small part of Scripture. In fact, if you just narrowed in on the words of Jesus, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That can take you anywhere, right? And in fact, you see that in, uh, in this book. By the way, there are copies of the book over there. Um, I think that there are more coming, so uh, g- grab one and we'll make sure we, we, uh, we have enough for everybody. Um, and there are also bookmarks over there for next, week, um, for, for next week's uh, lesson. But you, you saw that in, in what this fellow wrote, um, that he took, he took those words and meditated on them in all kinds of different directions. Now, what's really helpful about reading um, a meditation like this and other written meditations is that there are some people, just like with prayer, there are some people who are... Um, who are really articulate and give us good examples to follow. So uh, Pastor Brzezik often says, uh, um, you know, this person prays like they prayed before, which is, a, which, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And it's, it's difficult to, to, pray in a, uh, to pray as though you're actually having a conversation with somebody. In the same way, it's difficult to meditate in a way that, uh, that is cohesive, that ties things together. And that, so that's why it's nice to read an example of somebody doing that. Um, to inspire us, to, to draw us along. Now, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to come to the same conclusions or um, even be as, we don't have to be as creative as somebody like Romanus Cesario. Um, uh, it's very difficult to be, right? Uh, but, but to be led by that example is very helpful. So, with that in mind, what I want to, uh, this can go anywhere. So, let's start with this. Um, that with the question of how things went for you this week, meditating on the scripture text, on, on the, the portion of scripture that was, was given to you. The first words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How did that go for you? Any? I, I thought it was amazing. Okay. How so? Yeah, to, to put it in, in the words, what you feel something. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and, and that's one of the that's one of the um, the helpful things about uh, meditation as a discipline is that so often we we encounter a text or uh, an idea, um, God's word, uh, but there are there are lots of other distractions, lots of other things going on, and so we don't have time. We don't have time or the silence to um, to really sort of narrow it down to figure out what exactly we're thinking. Right? We react to it in a certain way, but we don't have time uh, or the space to, to figure it out. And that's one of the things that setting aside time provides, is you, um, you can, you can uh, sort of zone in on what exactly it is that you're thinking, how it is that you're reacting to this, what it, what it is that it recalls for you from Scripture, what it brings to mind about what you know about God. Um, was it, uh, how about the rest of you? Anybody else have any, any uh, thoughts about what it was like this week? For me, it was 
so it was uh, there were there were there there was one point where I had, I so this is how it went for me. I didn't meditate for a couple of days because I just didn't do it. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I, I set aside. I, I tried to set aside time um, at a, at a, in the morning, and I found myself very tired when it, first thing when I wake up. Luther suggests that you do it first thing when you wake up. Boy, am I too tired to think straight when I wake up first thing in the morning. So that didn't work so well. Um, but later, uh, there was there was one point where I where I was th- where I was thinking about the text, and I had I thought had thought what I thought was this brilliant thought about it, and then it was gone, and I was back to just sort of um, feeling like it was it was kind of uh, just banging my head against a wall um, and not wanting to do it because it didn't seem like it was producing anything. That's what it was like for me, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, one form of temptation, one form of uh, spiritual attack, right? Um, so I think Pastor Nelson talked about this. Uh, we, we, we hope that uh, we expect that the Holy Spirit will work while we're meditating and produ- produce results, right? Give us give us his inspiration, um, but it doesn't always come the way we want it to. And in fact, it comes often at the, uh, at the, at the cost of suffering, right? So uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, um, but the, the struggle even to approach God's word in the first place is um, a fundamental struggle that you, that you probably have all through your life, right? Um, to approach God's word even in the first place, um, especially at times when when, it, uh, when you're suffering in other ways. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's narrow in a little bit. Take a, uh, open up your books. Hopefully you all got a chance to read what Romanus Cesario said. Um, and th- this is the next question for you. Is there anything, uh, were there any insights that Cesario brought to the table that you found particularly interesting or helpful? Carol. Yes. The bottom of the first column, and it just said Christ on, on the cross. There's the idea of life. And he saw it apart from his persecutors, okay, yeah. But he wished to suffer at the hands of both Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and not just uh, and not just Jews and Gentiles either. But um, it, it, later we hear him quote uh, the Psalm. So we we'll get ahead of ourselves a bit here. But uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, suffering at the hands of God, even. Right. Um, but you're right. Uh, it's uh, his forgiveness. There is. Uh, is not just for his his um, his his co-patriots, you know, who uh, who've betrayed him, um, but for even even the people who who weren't there. But you know, somehow when he asked forgiveness for those who are for the world, but somehow delineating just that way, Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, sure. Which is the whole world? Is... Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Kathy, did you have something you were going to say? Would you raise your hand? No? No. <laughs> this Kathy. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you had your hand up. No? Okay. Anybody else? Anything else? Yeah, Rachel. So I didn't get through the whole thing, but um, the, I thought the quote that he had on page 17 
Yeah. Um, just was a good like reminder and tie-in that when Jesus said he wasn't, you know, it's easy to think that he was just talking about like the soldiers who were killing him. Right. But, you know, he was talking about me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, follow that trail a little bit here. Um, uh, so the, the, the idea that um, Jesus asks uh, God to forgive, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, that's, to me, that's such a striking thing because um, it, it implies, it, when we think of ourselves as well, then, then it's not just, then he's not just forgiving us for the times that we, um, you know, consciously sin. Um, but it makes you wonder, it makes you think, well, if they, in, in ignorance, were able to crucify the Son of God, right, not knowing what they did, what have I, what have I in ignorance done, or what am I doing in ignorance, um, which is startling, right? To, and that's precisely what puts him on the cross. But then even more, even more startling is, um, is the fact that he, he prays for us even when we don't confess our sins, even when we, we don't know what we're confessing, right? Um, take a, you, have your Bible, you have Bibles at your table there? Open up to Psalm 19. Uh, this, this is, uh, I think this is in the background when Jesus prays this, uh, prays this, his prayer of, of forgiveness for those who do not know what they do. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because, well, we'll just, let me, let me just read it. Uh, Psalm 19, and then uh, we chat about it a little bit. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's such, it's such a brilliant psalm because it starts with, with this testimony about God's creative sovereignty, right? He's, he's set up the, the path of the sun um, which, who like a, like a bridegroom comes out of his tent, like a strong man runs its course, right? So he, he is the author of, of uh, all, these, all of creation, and then he's the author of this law, these commands, these testimonies, which are, when you, the description of them is, uh, is so uplifting, right? They're, it's perfect, they, his law is perfect, it revives the soul. All these good things that he has in store for us. Um, and... Uh, which is, which is, uh, I think, perhaps um, a more striking way to consider to to to, to think about sin um, for us as Christians. 
as less, uh, less of a violation of some arbitrary rules, right? Or the rules of an arbitrary authority, or even the rules of just um, somebody who's doing. Uh, so, so you could you could imagine, you know, a, a god or a, yeah, a, an authority that is just doing what's right, right? And so they so he establishes rules that are right. That's not the case at all. These rules are for our good, right? Uh, they're for our benefit. And so when we, when we sin, when we, when we violate these rules, when we, um, when we commit these errors and have these hidden faults, it's, uh, it's not that we're trespassing against, again, some arbitrary right or wrong, um, but we're, we're, we're uh, denying, we're, de- we're declining the good that God has in store for us, which is why all the more uh, it's such a wonderful, uh, precious thing that he fulfills his Fulfills this, uh, fulfills this word of keeping us from our presumptuous sins and um, co- co- making us blameless, innocent of tra- great transgressions. That happens on the cross when he prays this prayer, right? This prayer is precisely because um, these commandments that he set up for us, for our good, um, we, don't, we don't benefit from because we don't follow them. Um, that, so his prayer, his prayer is, fu- is fulfilling this psalm. It's, it's carrying out what he's what he's set aside to do, um, making sure that we have the good that he's promised us. Um, okay, Wh- what else? Anything else? Um, yeah, Kirby. I just actually fits with what you were just talking about. I like the in stuff on 20, page 21 where it says forgiveness restores divine order. Yeah. what you were just saying here. Right. And that, um, that there's no alternative. Yeah. Of, the, of our own making. Right. I think that it just says that abide in the order of love that God has established for the well-being of the world is what comes to Yeah, it, it's... I, lo- I love that. Like I said, I never really... I don't know, he says a lot of things in a way that I never really heard <laughs> Yeah, it is, it is a kind of a new way of talking. Right, and, and so, he, so this notion of divine order is really helpful. Um, that, that God has... A st- so... God has established the world in a, in a, to work in a particular way, and it works for our good, um, and that's what He wants, and um, and that includes that includes forgiveness, um, which has to come from God. Otherwise, it's not real forgiveness. So, so He says there are no alternatives, um, and this is, I think, an interesting question to consider. What are the ways um, that we sort of uh, short circuit or hijack forgiveness and make it our own? Can you think of Think of al- false alternatives to genuine forgiveness, d- divine forgiveness. Oh, sure. Right. So, so just the really practical matter of the fact that we, uh, we don't have the power to do it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's why, in some ways, uh, I mean, that's, that's why... Having, forgiving somebody as a Christian is so important because you're forgiving them not because you, you say, oh, I'm going to muster up, because I'm, I'm better than this, but you say, it's because Jesus is better than this, right? Holly. Thank you. 
Yeah. Right. So I said, you, I said, only God can forgive you for not being sorry. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he does that. I have no problem. Because people weren't saying, I'm sorry, I'm crucified. But he just like, well, I would forgive them. Right. But for human to human to do that, there had to be a lot of prompting, I feel like. And yeah. So he was sort of confused by why. Yeah. Why wouldn't you forgive me? Yeah. Well, and, and that's, a, that's one of the ways, I mean, that's, that's precisely one of the ways that we short-circuit forgiveness. On the, on, on the confession side, there are all kinds of ways that, so to, to have a, a, a real confession is uh, equally as difficult as, as genuinely forgiving somebody, right? Um, to confess your sins without qualifying them is, <laughs> oh boy, that's hard. I just heard a story, and it was a really tragic story. Um, uh, and the, it was, it was um, a radio episode about uh, the, the paradox of forgiveness. And of course, you know, like popular psychology is really interested in uh, these sort of virtuous things like gratitude and forgiveness and joy and happiness, right? Um, and it's interesting the way that they, they approach them. So uh, the story was um, these reconciliation rituals that take place uh, in Sierra Leone where, where uh, great violence was perpetrated against um, a, a large number of people. And the story they told, this is a bit, it's a bit uh, brutal, um, but there, there were, I think it's a helpful example. There were two, two boys and one boy's father, and I, don't, I can't remember the, the historical details of who was committing the violence, um, but the way they did it was by turning families against each other, turning friends against each other. And so they said to the one boy, look, you kill your father. And he said, I can't, I can't do that. And so they told the, his best friend, you kill his father. And he refused, and they shot him in, shot him in the hip, uh, injuring him. And he, had no, he, he figured he had no alternative, and so he killed his friend's father. Now, I mean, that, the story is, is horrific at that point. Um, but then you fast forward years later, the violence has subsided, and these two men are still living together in a village. Um, the one whose father is dead and the other who killed his father. Um, and so they have, they, in an attempt to um, promote the community, up, to uplift the community, they have these rituals of reconciliation. And what was so interesting about it is that uh, the fellow whose father was killed um, st- stepped forward and said, that man, my friend, killed my father. Um, and the, the friend said, yes, I killed his father. And at, th- at this point, it's all going great. But then he says, but I didn't have any other choice. Now, um, you sympathize. You sympathize with him, right? Um, it, because it seems like he had no other choice. He was a young, a young guy. Um, and the, the man whose father is killed offers his forgiveness, accepts his apology. Now, what's interesting about it is this. Um, there's, two, there's, two, there's two facets that describe, there's two angles that describe what's sort of missing from um, the best we can do at forgiveness. So in that case, it was a qualified forgiveness or qualified confession, right? And the forgiveness amounted to, it's okay, I'll, over, I'll overlook it, right? Um, because you had a reason to do it, right? Um, and that's, I mean, that's really not that's, not, that's not, that's not the way forgiveness works, right? Forgiveness uh, uh, acts in spite of the fact that it was 
you know, uh, it was a, a wrong. But the other side of it is that the forgiveness was never, there was no, there was no um, entertaining the notion of forgiving the fellows who had made the boy kill his, his friend's father, right? How, would, how is that possible? And that's not, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not. Um, so, what, now the other, the other interesting thing was they found that, um, that having these rituals of reconciliation, so attempts at forgiveness, um, are good for the community. And that's, that's a sensible thing because you can't, you can't um, when you harbor these things, um, you, can't, you can't coexist, right? So it's good for the community, but they also found that um, re-sort re of hashing the, uh, the events was traumatic for the individuals. Um, so the community was, was stronger, um, they worked together, but they suffered individually, personally. And in some ways that's because, uh, I mean, I think you could diagnose it as, as a lack of real forgiveness or a lack of acknowledgement of the, of the real suffering that took place. Um, and that's what's so different about what Jesus does. And you, you, you pointed this out. Nobody asked Jesus to forgive them. Um, if we asked him, uh, when we ask him, we, we inevitably qualify what we say, you know? Um, or we, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we don't confess everything. Yeah, I'm fine with him forgiving this or that thing, but I'm not going to let him have this one, right? Um, because I don't really feel bad about it or because uh, I enjoy it too much or I don't really think it's wrong, you know? Um, or I don't need him to take care of it. I can take care of it myself. Um, and that's, that's what is so precious about his words because uh, he takes the whole situation into himself. Forget about your confession. Um, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive you uh, even though you don't know what you're doing, right? Uh, because you don't know what you're doing. That's, which is that's great news. <laughs> um, okay. Anything else? What else? Krista. Um, just, just, just sometimes we're thinking and I think um, only Christians can um, uh, think that they are sinning. Right. You know, literally, you know, it, I just because you now I'm a little bit um, more in Germany and something like that with the Muslims and so. Um, but if you... Only, only Christians, I thought, uh, that you are, you are really um, uh, in, in spite that uh, Jesus will forgive you, but you have to realize at first that you sin. Right. And this is, this, this, is a, this is a great point, and this pertains actually, this is a, a fundamental part of meditation. One of the things, there's a, um, a theologian from, Lutheran theologian from the 17th century, Johann Gerhardt, who uh, wrote a lot of meditative works. In fact, as, as I have a chance, I'll share a lot of it with you. Um, this is his introduction to... Um, there might be more of you than I have copies. Uh, that's great. There you go, Cindy. I'll pass it back there. Um, this is the introduction to uh, a book called Meditations on Divine Mercy. And it's a, it's a set of prayers that he prays or that he writes. And the way he, uh, the way he organizes it is instructive for us. Um, and it, it gets to your point, Krista. So we'll take a look at it here. Did I give you copies? Mm-hmm. I did. Okay. Thanks. So he says, he says there are four parts to daily meditation. One, we ask God to forgive our sins because of Christ. Two, we offer humble thanks to God for his blessings. Three, we pray that the Holy Spirit might preserve and increase his gifts to us by which he gives us spiritual victory. 
over our temptations. And four, we pray for the needs of our neighbor, both for his life and for eternal life. And then this paragraph, uh, this paragraph is helpful. First, we consider our sin. Second, we acknowledge the benefits we receive from God, gratitude, thanksgiving. Third, we consider our need. And fourth, remember our neighbor. This is kind of like what Luther does. When Luther talks about meditating on the Ten Commandments, he says, um, when, he's, when he approaches the commandments, he says, um, he th- thinks of them first as instruction, uh, thanksgiving, confession, and prayer. Um, and so this is, I offer this to you um, as, as one way you might uh, approach a text like the one we have before us, right? How, how can you think about it? You can think about it in these ways. First of all, what, is it, what does it reveal to you about your sin? Um, and this is, this is, in fact, the starting place for Christian meditation. Um, now, that sounds really grim, right? To always to, to be, to, to consider our sin um, all the time sounds like the kind of thing that'll get you down, right? Um, but what does it mean, what does it look like for a, a Christian to meditate on sin, on your sin? Well, it's not just for the, it's not for the sake of, you know, uh, of, of abusing yourself or, or, or scourging yourself, right? It's because you have, so that your joy at the, at the reception of Jesus' forgiveness would be increased, right? And so we pray, in it, we pray that our knowledge of, of, our, knowledge of our sin would, would increase so that we can be all the more grateful for what Jesus has done for us. And this, in fact, uh, Romanus Cesario says the same thing. He says... Uh, let's see, it's on page 17. This is the first full paragraph. It's impossible for us to penetrate the pathos embodied in the first word, the plea that God forgives sinners, without at the same time pondering the reversal of the divine order that human sin introduced in the world. Right? Kirby, you mentioned this. If sin matters not a whit to us, then neither will pardon for sin. Um, and this is also important because um, it, we're, we're tempted in, in, the, in the various ways that we, we try and short-circuit forgive, confession and absolution, short-circuit forgiveness. Um, we, we don't come face-to-face with sin. And sometimes what we do is we even invent, we invent sin uh, that's, not, that's not real, right? Um, G- the Holy Spirit re- uh, reveals to us our sinfulness, reveals to us our hidden faults, um, this comes out in uh, the right of individual confession and absolution. Um, there's, a, there's a line, there's a rubric that instructs you. This is what it says. If you are not burdened with particular sins, do not trouble yourself or search for or invent other sins, thereby turning confession into a torture, right? This is not about torturing yourself. This is about getting, receiving the good things that Jesus has for you. Um, if you can, if you can uh, frame your Christian life in those terms as um, diving into the riches that Jesus has for you. Uh, sin, is not, sin is not something for you to be concerned about anymore. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? You, you, there's no condemnation for you because of sin. What is sin for you? It's a sign of just how much Jesus loves you, right? And if you can, if you can uh, frame your Christian life that way and... and Praise God, praise God for the riches of his grace um, uh, and, and, and look, for, look for it, look, view it positively. Um, it, opens up, it opens up an opportunity for you to, to really um, 
to engage a little bit more with what, what Jesus says. Yeah, Kirby. I have um, a non-Christian friend who doesn't really accept the concept of sin. Yeah. And I have questions about they don't see the need for forgiveness. Like, here's the first step in this meditation plan. Right. Is actually, like, sort of acknowledge your sin. But my friend wouldn't actually say we're sinful. Yeah. She would just say, we're operating on a, a, this order of, essentially, like, the survival of the fittest. Sure, sure. I, I guess maybe that's the best way to describe it. The circle, <laughs> we act the way we do because we're programmed to do that. Yeah. What, what we would consider yeah. So I don't even know, like, I mean, I think I've mentioned this before, but like some of them, she'll, she'll just say stuff like, you're, I'm, that I'm obsessed with sin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and oddly, she's probably one of my, she's a very kind-hearted, <laughs> yeah. a weird thing, you can't even, she's most thought, one of my more thoughtful friends about other people. Sure. So it's kind of hard to like, <laughs> Yeah, right. You, I mean, because you, what you want to do is you want to be able to say, hey, look, that was sinful. You should cut it out. You need to get... more sinful than she does. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> she often does the right thing kind of just because she does it. Right. It's interesting. I never quite know how to it, it's, convince people that they're sinful. Yeah, so, so this is... Um, so you're... you're it's unlikely that you're going to argue somebody into into believing they're a sinner, right? I mean, although that's that's sort of our inclination um, to pull to whip out Romans and say, "Look, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." There it is, right there, boom. Um, and the reason why that is why that usually doesn't work, although it may, because um, we. So this is the, finally the thing to remember, of course, is that we don't we don't get to decide what works and what doesn't, and that is that is so hard to. To, to keep in front of you. But um, you may remember, uh, it was a while, long time ago, I, I showed you some stuff from uh, this moral psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, and he has a, he has a really helpful paradigm um, that, set, that goes, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies, right? So, so you start with your, your passions, your appetites, and that's uh, what drives you. Um, your will chooses the things that you love, and then your mind sort of comes last, right? He, has, he uses the image of uh, reason being like a monkey riding an elephant. Does the monkey really choose where the elephant goes? Probably not. The elephant is, your, is, your, is what you love. Um, and so uh, convincing somebody that they're a sinner um, or, that sin or that sin exists, really what we do as Christians is we show the world that there's something to love, right? That there's, that there's a good to love um, a good that's better than the good that the world can offer. Um, uh, because, I mean, frankly, when things go well for folks in life, uh, this, is, this is a huge obstacle. When things go well for you uh, by your own decisions, right? So I chose, I decided to do this, and great things happened, and then I made this choice, and great things happened. Seems like I'm the master of my own fate. These are good things. Ergo, I don't need to worry about God. Um, that all, that, that, that all comes sort of toppling down in the face of suffering. So that's, why, that's when suffering is, is uh, a blessing. And finally, it comes toppling down in the face of death, right? Um, because uh, where's the good in death? Where's the good? Um, but you remember what the, the, the Romans, when they were trying to decide what to do with the Christians, what they said about the Christians. You know, they're such a bizarre people because they, 
bury their dead and they um, they show kindness to strangers and all these things. Um, in a sense, um, that's the that's on the one hand the best we can do, and on the other hand, it's a really good thing that we can do. Um, uh, by by uh, by loving the good that God says is good, um, which which occasionally which often conflicts with what the world says is good, um, we, we proclaim that uh, we, we, we give them something else to love. Um, that's not, it's a, that's a, not a great answer. But, but enough, maybe, maybe a way to reframe the, the, the question. Um, think, about, think about what you love. Um, okay. Yeah, Amy. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a helplessness. It's, it's like, how, how do I ever stop wanting not to be the sin that I continue to be the sin? Yeah. That's the life of a Christian, isn't it? <laughs> so, one, so, as with, so uh, I think Pastor Nelson maybe mentioned last week that um, when, you, when you realize that you don't want to meditate, you can thank God for the realization, right? The same way, when you find yourself... Maybe he didn't say that. Maybe I thought that. And, uh, but um, it, when, you, when you find yourself, it's, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit um, and it's faith to recognize, to realize that you are continuing to do the things that you shouldn't do. It's what Paul says in Romans, uh, in Romans 7, the good that I want, I do not do. Uh, the, the, what I know I should do, I don't do. And what I, don't, what I know I shouldn't do, I, I do. Um, and it's, again, uh, if we can frame our lives in terms of, uh, in terms of the richness uh, that Jesus has for us, that's a great blessing. Just that realization, just that acknowledgement of our hopelessness, that's fantastic. Because if you weren't hopeless, then you wouldn't need Jesus, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, it's a cause for rejoicing. Um, now, and a, and a cause for uh, so and and, a, and, a, and an earnest prayer of faith. So it's the uh, it's the second part of what uh, or the third part of what uh, of what Gerhardt says here. So we put, we meditate based on what we need, right? So we know we know what we need. Then you know what you need, and you can ask for it. Um, but uh, again, I I'd urge you every time you find yourself coming up short, in uh, you um, thank God that you that you know. Right, because and 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 then remember that um, the measure is uh, Jesus measures that that Jesus's measure is is yours um, that that his uh, what he's accomplished is attributed to you. Okay, anything? Yeah, Jan. Right. Eternal law. And I guess I, you know, if you look at the world today, that is so true, but I don't think I ever just took that concept and thought about it. Yeah. It, it, you know, when we, um, when we exist as a community, as a church, 
it's there are lots of things that we take for granted that are really hard for us to to know to to, re to remember that the world is not taking them for granted, right? Because the interesting thing is, if man obeyed the eternal laws, we wouldn't need the rest of them. Right. Yeah, it's true, and and um, uh, that that's uh, again the reason why um, why arguing, why um, trying to approach people through their minds is really really kind of is very difficult because um, it, if you don't acknowledge um, if you don't acknowledge God's law, then you have to invent law. You have to do it yourself. And, and most often it's by consensus, right? Like he says, right? The world has to agree in order for this to be true or right. Um, uh, it topples. I mean, as, as with so many things, this sort of relativism uh, is self-destructive. And it, it, people just don't, aren't willing to follow it to its conclusion. But we, you, see it, you see law disintegrate as soon as, as soon as everybody gets a say in what's good and right, right? As soon as everybody gets to give their two cents, well, then all of a sudden nothing is good. Um, or, or it's all not very good. Um, but this is, this is really important for us uh, in two ways. First of all, for remembering our relationship to the world, right? So we, um, we, we have a knowledge that the world doesn't, doesn't uh, acknowledge. Um, and so our, uh, we should be gracious, right? They're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. Um, uh, but also... Then it also it magnifies just what Jesus just what Jesus is saying on the cross, right? Um, they reject they reject everything. The world rejects everything about God. The fool says in his heart, "There is no God," um, and and Jesus prays for that fool even. Krista, yes. But Natalie, <coughs> that's when the world said there is no God, and uh, um, then something else comes, you know, and take over. Right, right. And, uh, that's the danger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. So um, it, 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 this is this is the, uh, the we have this we, we, we can acknowledge, we can see how uh, other gods take place take the place of of the one true God, right? Because I mean, as Luther describes, and when he talks about the first commandment, a god is really just whatever you place your trust in, right? And folks can't get by in the world without trusting something or someone right whether it's whether it's you know evolution or Dar you know the survival of the fittest or um their health or their or their um good choices um you trust something um and and uh, i mean finally those things all they all fail you so okay yeah jan Yeah. One point in my life, we have people coming and saying, well, this is my problem, and they want you to solve it specifically for them. And yet you, as the lawmaker, have to look at the situation and say, if I solve this person's problem the way they want it, how does that affect the other 40,000 people in town? Yeah. And so... Unless you're there to, you know, help everybody do their own little thing and give them the law they want, you need to look at the overall good or bad of what you're creating. And that doesn't always happen in 
a board of trustees or yeah. a village council. Yeah, I mean, so again, again, at best, this 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 goes back to uh, you know um, divine love being the source of forgiveness, right? And determining what is what is good. Um, we 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 inevitably aim for aim for it, um, and our best attempts are are they're, they're not great, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Amy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and and there. Um, I mean, that's the other. That's the. You, you can see it if you ask yourself about about your motives for for following the good too. You could see if and everybody's just like everybody's just like me, right? You know, everybody has impure motives for for doing doing even good things, right? Yeah, Cindy. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It's a harrowing. It's a harrowing fact. Um, but again, uh, and, and and I at times um, have uh, and and the, and the Lutheran Church um, and Christians, you know, sort of have relished uh, that fact. Right. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Right. Jonathan Edwards. Right. Um, so so let's let's sort of build up all this emotion about our. Our sinfulness, and let's really uh, dwell on that as its as its own end, um, because it is such a harrowing reality, right? Um, we're going to go to hell. It's terrible. Um, and then you then you just put the, you add some images of what hell is going to be like, and all of a sudden it's really good, right? It's great. It's a great. It's great uh, uh, for producing emotions. But the but that's not the that's when we say things like everything we do is sinful again. It's it's directed towards it's it's about it's about repentant joy. Okay, we say it uh, in during the divine service. Um, I think it's the prayer of thanksgiving. With repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us. Right when we remember our sins, it's joyfully um, that 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 we sorrow over them. I mean, it's 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 paradoxical, but that 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 sorrow is not an end in itself. Holly, it's not a get out of jail free card. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 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 You don't. Um, the 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 end result is faith. The 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 you remember your sins so that you can trust in so you can trust in Jesus um, because because you need Him. Uh, let me let me just see if there's anything else big that I wanted to share with you. Oh, um, well, there was a bunch of stuff about meditation in general. I was just reading um, a book by Alexander Schmemann yesterday about Lent, and there was this re- there was this really striking um, paragraph. This is this is doesn't pertain to what you read in the book. This is just about meditation in general. A reason for you to meditate, um, meaning a reason for you to return to Scripture, um, uh, even when even when you don't want to, and to resist the temptation, to resist the um, the spiritual attack that you undergo when you when you um, come to scripture it's because again it's because of love so this is what Schmemann says um, 
Oh, there's so much interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll, there's a longer paragraph here. I'll see if this might not be what I want to get at, but it's interesting anyways. We simply forget all this, um, God and his righteousness. So busy are we, so immersed in our daily preoccupations, and because we forget, we fail. And through this forgetfulness, failure, and sin, our life becomes old again. Petty, dark, and ultimately meaningless. A meaningless journey toward a meaningless end. We manage to forget even death, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of our enjoying life, it comes to us. Horrible, inescapable, senseless. We may from time to time acknowledge and confess our various sins, yet we cease to refer to our life as that, refer our life to that new life which Christ revealed and gave to us. Indeed, we live as if he never came. This is the only real sin, the sin of all sins, the bottomless sadness and tragedy of our nominal Christianity. So that's, so, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of a fearful, um, a, uh, a, you know, lest that happen, let's return to Scripture. But this is what he says then. Um, how can we love and desire something that we do not know? How can we put above everything else in our life something which we have not seen and enjoyed? In short, how can we seek a kingdom of which we have no idea. And where do we get that idea? Where do we experience it? Where do we enjoy it? Um, it's, it's, in, it's in the precious words of Jesus, right? Um, and uh, the great promise that you, we cling to is that even when uh, we don't enjoy it, it's good for us. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's working for our benefit. Um, so, uh, do it because uh, you can't love what you don't know. You can't love what you don't know, and you know it when you, when you read it in Scripture, okay? Do um, you have any other questions? Any other thoughts? And that's what Pastor said, go to church. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, perfect. We're in agreement. That's good. <laughs> you should go to church, too. <laughs> okay. Um, come back next week. Read Chapter 2. Meditate on... The second word, amen, I say to you, today you will be me in paradise. Um, there's a, there's a, bo- a, bookmark, a new bookmark for you over there. Um, and let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.